This information is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or tax advice. Please consult your attorney or accountant to discuss your particular business situation. SBA's participation in this presentation is not an endorsement of the views, opinions, products, or services of any of the participants, persons, or entities. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. This information is as current as May 1st, 2020. Aloha, I'm Evan Leong from BrainGain Hawaii, and welcome to another Save Hawaii Jobs and Business webinar for May 1, 2020. It's been another crazy week, although crazy seems to feel more normal these days. If this is new for you, we have a resource folder with updated memos and previous webinar videos on YouTube. So please make sure you review those documents before asking a question, since most of those answers are in the documents. Buddy will uh, post that into the chat box. So let me introduce our team for today. We have Jane Sawyer, who's the Hawaii District Director for the SBA and our champion for Hawaii small businesses. Darren Leong is, an, is a specialist in employment law from the law office of Darren R. Leong. Stacy Katakura is the CEO of Accumulus, which is an outsourced CFO and accounting firm. Jeff Harris is a specialist in employment law and a, name, a senior name partner at the Torkelson Law Firm. Buddy Leong is an analyst here at Brain Gain Hawaii and handles our communications back in the chat box and Coco Leong is our editor at Brain Game in charge of content, YouTube channel, and podcast. Questions for today, we're going to take it through the Q&A module only. So if you post it in the chat box, Buddy will ask you to post it in the Q&A box. And please upvote those questions that are similar to the ones you're interested in, and we'll do our best to answer those toward the latter part of the web, um, webinar. We'll work on answering those live. Okay. This is a fully volunteer effort. Our team has personally answered hundreds of questions, email threads, and hundreds of billable hours being donated. No one's been paid for the free pro bono work that's been done to help Hawaii employers. And we're just trying to help Hawaii save jobs and businesses. Legal disclaimer, this information is provided for informational purposes only, and it's not intended as legal or tax advice. Please consult your attorney or accountant to discuss your particular business situation. SBA's participation in this part, um, presentation is not an endorsement of the views, opinions, products, or services of any of the participants, persons, or entities. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. This information is current as of today, May 1, 2020. So let's start with Jane Sawyer. Thank you. Aloha, everybody, and uh, welcome to our program today. Uh, it's Friday. It's Lay Day. Uh, Hope you're looking at a calm and peaceful weekend, um, but some of us might not be. We're rolling through round two of the PPP loan um, money, the loan fund, and it's been going very quickly as well as the first round had. The first round had about 350 billion. This round has about 310. Um, by Tuesday morning, which start at the start of day two, they were seeing over 90 billion of that 310 had already been obligated or approved for loans. Um, there are a lot of, uh, the program is brand new, it's changing as we go along and we're learning a lot, but our lenders here in Hawaii are doing their very best to make sure that Hawaii gets the fair share of those dollars to our small businesses. Um, they've been very, banks have been very, very busy, credit unions have been very busy, FinTechs have been very busy with this program. If you haven't submitted an application yet, or you're still waiting, um, make sure you check with your lenders um, because they are right now rolling through those applications and getting them put into the digital, uh, digital system to get those dollars obligated for you. So they've also been getting lots of money out there. So people are getting their disbursements. I'm hearing lots from, from small companies about getting their employees back on payroll even at a time when their businesses may not quite be open for business yet because of the um, special emergency orders that we have. But it's time to get ready um, and position yourself because the clock starts ticking on that eight-week period for forgiveness as soon as you get your funds into your bank account, as soon as the bank disperses to you. So if you haven't submitted an application, take a look by going to www.sba.gov click on the COVID banner at the top and take a look at the PPP loan program. Uh, tells you how to apply. Um, first round might be going to your bank. Two of our local banks that have been doing a lot of the processing, ASB and CPB, 
are considering new applications. Um, some of the credit unions are still taking applications as well. So do go to their website, take a look, see who might be accepting your application if you haven't submitted one as yet. Um, there are also some of the FinTechs who are processing some of the applications fairly quickly. So if you have a relationship with some of those folks, PayPal or Square, um, you might want to just Google them and see what see what their website is saying at this time. The money should be rolling out pretty quickly. So um, we don't know how much longer it will last. Uh, if you haven't gotten uh, an application in, um, take the time to do it, do it now. So um, I guess that's probably it for today from the SBA. Um, our resource partners are available to help you if you have questions. The SBA office here is also available. Our staff will be happy to answer any questions that you might have about how it works. Um, but the key place to go would be sba.gov and link on the COVID banner at the top. It will talk to you about, give you information on applying for the PPP. If you're in economic injury disaster loan, these loans, instead of going through your banks, go directly to SBA and SBA makes a direct loan. That portal has been jammed up because they've gotten over 4.3 million applications um, in the first 10 days. Uh, and uh, they are, people are finding money in their bank account. Um, if you've gotten an advance, uh, you should show up to $10,000 shows up in your account. And that's kind of a clue that gives you that your application is now being reviewed. So programs are a little bit different in the use of proceeds. You can apply for both. Um, if you're waiting to apply for an economic injury disaster loan, again, go to sba.gov, click on the COVID banner, and check out and see if they've opened the portal for idle applications once again. We are expecting that to happen in the next week or so because some additional funds have been added to that pool of money but they're still obligating the dollars from round one. So there we have it. And talk to your bank about loan relief if you have an SBA existing 7A or 504 loan. That's it. Back All right. to you guys. Thank you, Jane. Happy Lay Day. Um, I, I just want to give a, a personal shout out to, to Jane because I know she's been working seven days a week. Uh, since about a week before March 27th, which is the date of passage of the law. So uh, big shout out to, to Jane for all the work that she's doing. One of the pieces of information that we did get uh, additionally was that um, ASB uh, says they work through their backlog. So they are one of the banks that are open, but also that they have um, worked through their their existing queue from uh, round one. So uh, that is an option. And as Jane mentioned, uh, Central Pacific Bank has also, uh, as we can see uh, online, has reopened their portal. Um, one thing I should uh, mention is we sent an email out earlier this week. Uh, our congressional delegation sent a letter uh, jointly to uh, SBA. Um, continuing to, to push to make sure that Hawaii gets its fair share of the uh, PPP funds. So um, uh, you could take a look at that letter uh, that we uh, sent around. Okay, um, so there were a few developments with respect to taxation of PPP funds, uh, both at the state level and also at uh, today, I guess, at the federal level in terms of how um, both of those, um, both the state and the federal government are going to treat taxation. So we'll hand it off to Stacy to discuss that. Okay, thank you. I, um, I'll just, I'll start with the state developments. Um, I think a few days ago, the governor uh, announced in his, uh, his conference that the PPP loan forgiveness was not gonna be subject to GE tax. Um, and that the, um, the conformity bill to federal law still would need to pass the legislature uh, come January. So that's re really good news. I mean, I, I thought the, the um, exemption from GE tax was gonna be a little bit harder. So it's, it's good that um, they, they announced it and they clarified it with a, a TIR um, uh, earlier this week as well. Um, the, the new development with the federal income tax, um, there, as you all know, the, uh, the uh, loan forgiveness is, um, 
exempt that the is exempt it's not it's going to be exempt from federal income tax purposes however um there was a uh, notice an irs notice 2020-32 that just came out this morning that uh, identified that, that any um expenditures used uh covered by the uh, ppp loan to the extent that the ppp loan is forgiven uh, those expenses are also not going to be deductible for federal in income tax purposes so that's a that was unfortunate, but that was just an issue this morning. Yeah, I mean, so if we could just spend a, a second on that, Stacy, if you know expenses such as payroll costs, et cetera, aren't um, aren't deductible, then I mean, essentially, doesn't that, for all intents and purposes, make the money taxable? Uh, yes, for all intents and purposes, I think the only um, that's assuming that the the um, there are revenues coming in during that period of time. So for a business that's closed and doesn't have any revenues, um, you're you have the you're getting those expenses covered, but you also can't deduct them. Yeah. Okay. I mean, definitely something you'd want to talk to your uh, tax advisor. Uh, I do understand that some of the larger CPA. Um, associations have um, have aggressively pushed back uh, to the IRS on this, and uh, we'll see if that position um, possibly changes as a number of things uh, have up till now. Um, so, uh, actually, I'm saying one other. When you say uh, with respect to state taxes, so it's clear that it's not going to be subject to GET. When you talk about conformity, um, what what do you mean uh, exactly with respect to state taxation for income tax purposes? So every year, um, the state legislator will uh, have a will, will consider a conformity bill to federal uh, tax provisions, um, any new tax developments that the federal government has made throughout the year, um, and that's uh, they usually vote on it sometime in the early session, um, or so. Um, when the session opens again, presumably in January of next year, um, there's going to be a conformity bill um, on the on their docket uh, to to consider not only this but other other developments that the federal government has has made. So to the extent that you know um, you you still you know you want to advocate for the um, that the PPP loan forgiveness is not subject to state income taxes, I still urge you to contact your legislatures and voice your concern. Okay, so to be sort of real clear on it, if the state legislature passes conformity, um, then if for federal purposes, the PPP money is um, excluded from income tax purposes, it would also be excluded for state income tax purposes. Correct. Correct. And if, if mm -hmm. under federal law, then uh, the IRS sticks with its current position and says you cannot deduct uh, payroll, et cetera, um, would conformity under state law also have that same effect? Presumably, they'll, um, they'll include that in the, the conformity bill as well. Okay, so something we should keep an eye on. Um, there was other guidance this week uh, from uh, SBA and Treasury on the speed at which loans, um, once they're approved by SBA, uh, how fast they get out from the bank to the borrower. And I know there was essentially a, a 20 day rule um, issued in one of the guidances. Stacey, can you, can you talk about that one? Uh, sure. So um, there was always a, there was a rule um, that uh, I can't remember it was one of the Q&As or the interim final rules that um, provided guidance that the loan funds, once, once the SBA issued a loan number, um, the loan proceeds would need to be dispersed within 10 calendar days. Um, well, they, there was a guidance that was further issued that um, if for some reason the borrower um, is taking, it creates a delay in that in that 10 day time frame, um, the the lender will need to um, cancel the the SBA loan approval uh, after 20 days. <clears throat> okay, and so essentially that 20 day rule is uh, 
it, it applies if the borrower is the one that's sort of holding up the paperwork and, and that sort of thing. Yes. So I think, okay. I think what was happening was that a lot of the borrowers were trying to delay signing their loan documents to um, give, give them some time to um, do some planning, maybe hire the staff back. Um, but that, uh, I think that was um, intended to address that. Um, I should also say that the, it is um, only applicable to loans issued, the SBA loans issued after the 28th of April as well. Got it. Um, uh, I, should, I should have recapped this right up, up the front because I, I see our sort of normal four or 500 uh, people who have been following sort of the last few weeks are on, uh, there are no um, updates on uh, specific forgiveness rules. So uh, we have not received uh, any interim final rules or, or other guidance on that front. And the two biggest issues that have not been answered still, uh, which include the costs incurred and payments made issue, and also uh, the FTE issue um, is, uh, has not been has not been answered yet. Um, okay, uh, Jeff, uh, unemployment updates and also an update from the governor's press conference a few days ago. For those of us that didn't watch the entire news conference, it was, I, I thought it was one of his greatest hits. He came out and uh, uh, gave uh, a hopeful, some hopeful, comments about reopening business subject to some um, some safety precautions. He, um, he and his advisors claimed that we were close to flattening the curve. <clears throat> and then he, he hit the high point of his press release, which he finally opened the FET, the website so you could apply for the P, uh, PUA the federal money uh, that corresponds to the state unemployment benefits. Um, and that, that website is, uh, is up and going. There are some difficulties with that website. Now, now what, what that website is intended to implement is if you receive $1 of state unemployment benefits, then you are also entitled to uh, the federal $600 PUA grant, or if you don't receive any state unemployment benefits at all, because you're an independent contractor, for example, uh, that hasn't received any benefits yet or doesn't, isn't able to recover them, and your, your resources go down because of the COVID situation, you can also apply to PUA uh, to, to receive that $600 PUA grant, too. There are some difficulties with the rollout of that system, I understand. For example, those of you who received a, a, a small unemployment amount are, are having difficulty uh, as, as an independent contractor are also ha are having difficulty uh, logging on to the PUA account. Uh, I expect those coordination at, uh, um, difficulties to be worked out. Uh, we we all know that the government government's doing the best it can. It's it's working at at relatively. Uh, uh, it's taking a, taking its responsibilities seriously, and it's working relatively quickly to implement. Uh, it's only been two days since they opened up Pua. If you if if you are able to reach out to DLIR and let your concerns be known. I'm, I'm sure they'll be addressed eventually. And those, those of you that have expressed concerns to us, will also let the director know about those concerns. Uh, on, on another note, I wanted to mention that the IRS has uh, issued some clarification on the employee retention credit. Those of you who have not applied for PPP funds, I know understand that you can apply for the employee retention credit and get a 50% uh, credit or, or refund on your employment taxes if you, if, if you pay your employees who are working 
wages and have under 100 employees, or if you pay your employees who aren't working, if you have over 100 employees, what the, what the employee retention credit defines as wages includes health care. And some employers with over 100 employees have decided to just pay health care benefits for health care premiums for those, those employees who are not working and take the employee retention credit. The IRS published some questions and answers in the last couple of days clarifying that those employers that are paying just health benefits need to also include wages. And, and our recommendation, if you want to get your employees the most possible benefit, is don't pay them more than their up to $150 because anything over $150 will be deducted from their unemployment benefits. Uh, I, I think that's all I have now, Derek. Thank you, Jeff. Um, there has been a lot of attention uh, over the past few days on smaller businesses, sole proprietors, uh, people who operate as independent contractors, uh, solo businesses, that kind of thing. Uh, we have seen at least anecdotal um, news reports that a lot of the loans being processed in round two relate to smaller businesses and, and those types of businesses. Uh, Stacy, can you address some of the uh, issues that relate specifically to sole proprietors and other very, very small businesses? Sure. So, um... We did hear anecdotally from one of the banks uh, that their average loan size uh, in this this round, this go around has um, has been less than fifty thousand. So that's really promising. That I think a lot of the sole proprietors are starting to get funded, um, or at least approved. Um, but one of the things that one of the, some of the feedback we heard was that you know with the sole proprietors, they're having a lot of um, the banks are having a lot of uh, challenges in. Um, and getting the documentation uh, from the borrowers correctly. Um, so I just wanted to uh, just emphasize here, if you are um, applying for a PPP loan, you're a sole proprietor, um, the guidance is, is clear, has been clarified that you need to submit your Schedule C for 2019. Um, a lot of you have not, um, might not be familiar with preparing your, your Schedule C. I, you, you might have a, a tax person that does it, but um, basically, you, you should get your whatever accounting records that you have for the year. It's basically, you know, your your profit and loss report from QuickBooks if you if you use QuickBooks. Um, you know, get that. You know, spend some time in cleaning that up and, and get that trans and get that get try to get a Schedule C completed. You don't need to complete your entire tax return, uh, just the Schedule C. Um, you know, account for all your income and what are, whatever deductions. Um, if you are a sole proprietor with no employees, um, your your loan size will basically be limited to, to twenty thousand eight thirty three, um, which is the uh, which is um, two and a half months four thousand dollar salary. So, um, that, I, I think that's uh, just the, the best uh, advice that we can give right now. But if you if you and also if you are if you're um, wondering whether or not you should apply, I would recommend that you do. Yes, yeah, so I'll I'll tack on a little bit to that. Some of the loans we know that have been issued are above the amounts that um, for for mistakes such as not capping at a hundred thousand um, dollars, and you know in other situations loan amounts above the uh, the maximum loan amount uh, were given out by the bank. Um, I would say in those situations, if it's clear that you got an amount that is above what you were entitled to, uh, you should immediately contact the bank and coordinate with them to give back that excess amount so that you are not stuck holding it uh, later and cannot be accused of essentially having an amount that's above the amount that you're entitled to. Uh, the way The way I've seen it happen quite a bit is uh, on that 20,833 number, which is the max amount for a single person um, or a single person business that uh, some folks just forgot to uh, include the $100,000 cap. And so loan amounts higher than that were given out. So 
you definitely in this environment don't want to be uh, sort of caught in a situation that uh, looks in any way sort of not above board because uh, the whole focus this past week was on um, you know fraud and targeting uh, businesses that have not been taking the loans uh, appropriately. So I would stay Darren, out of the crosshairs. Go ahead, John. Darren, I, I, don't don't you think this is a good time to to emphasize that the obligation is, is on the borrower and not the bank? If the bank gives you too much money or money that you're not entitled to because you're not a small business or uh, you don't qualify for the loan for some other reason, that will ultimate the 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 axe is ultimately going to fall on you and not the bank. It's it's your responsibility to ensure that you're eligible and that you satisfy the certification requirements. It's not the banks, other yes, than to do a, a pro forma review. But the the sanctions for non-compliance are on the borrower and not the bank. Yes, and I'll I'll pile it on. So normally banks when they uh, give out government loans, including SBA loans, have quite a few requirements on them, particularly ones to make sure that the loans that they're giving out are proper and in conformity with uh, the particular law under which they fall under. And, um, you know, because there is certain liability or levels of liability to the, the lender. In this particular situation with PPP, uh, in order to roll the money out fast, the law is very specific that a whole bunch of requirements on the banks to do checks and balances and make sure things are correct have essentially been waived. And uh, a bunch of the rules, and we haven't talked about them that much on these webinars because they relate to the banks themselves, but the whole thrust of a lot of the rules that have been issued are that the banks do uh, essentially a, you know, a somewhat minimal review of loan documentation that comes in. And if it appears on the surface to be satisfactory, the bank is entitled to give out that loan. That then puts the entire responsibility on the borrower, um, whether it's a single person or a, an organization take a ten, taking a $10 million loan, all of that responsibility is on the borrower. Um, and as you've seen uh, over the past week or so, there's been a lot of focus on some of the bigger uh, institutions um, getting a lot of heat for taking loans that potentially violate, uh, or at least uh, what the Treasury says violates the necessary to maintain operations uh, certification in the application form. Um, and even today, there was uh, someone alerted me that sort of a new target was um, well-endowed private schools. So uh, I believe either Mnuchin uh, or the president had made comments today questioning whether uh, K through 12 private schools with uh, reasonably large endowments should be entitled to uh, PPP funds because they have adequate sources of liquidity through their endowment. So there's a lot of focus on uh, this issue. And, um, you know, we talked about the certifications with some detail last time, but I'll, I'll take this opportunity to, to do it again. Um, if uh, you are going to keep the PPP funds, um, and uh, this is in no way telling you you should or should not, because that's an individualized analysis. But if you are, it certainly seems like a good idea to be able to substantiate and to prove if you are called upon to do so, that you meet all of the certifications. The two biggest certifications in that application form are the one that says it, the loan is necessary to maintain operations. And the other major certification is that the money was used to retain workers, maintain payroll, uh, and other um, allowable uses. Um, so uh, you want to make sure that you're able to do that. And now that there's a rule that all loans over $2 million will be, uh, I think the SBA term is reviewed and the term that Mnuchin used is audited. So uh, whatever you want to call it, those loans are going to be scrutinized, every single one of them. So 
uh, if, you, if your loan is over $2 million, it's basically a certainty that there will be a review of whether or not you meet the uh, certification requirements. Um, uh, there are some questions that, ar that arise on situations that um, are not explicitly uh, disallowed by the statute, but um, I, I think my answer to a number of these questions is uh, I would tread very, very cautiously because the SBA and Treasury has not been shy about um, sort of going after things after the fact that they deem to not be consistent with the purposes of the statute. Uh, so, so one is, for example, to meet the forgiveness headcount rules. Uh, it's clear that you don't have to have the exact same people that you had in the look back period to meet the, the full-time equivalent uh, headcount requirements. Uh, something that uh, some folks have sort of thought of is, well, I didn't like certain employees, so I don't want to bring those back, and instead I'm bring, uh, I'll bring on some either family members or close friends. Uh, that falls into the category of something that there is no explicit rule against it in the statute, but I would be very, very wary uh, of, of going that route because um, particularly with the certifications, again, one of the certifications is that you will retain workers and maintain payroll. And so retaining workers would be to the extent possible retaining the ones you already had. Um, and only if you are unable to bring those back, then I think uh, the rules with respect to maintaining headcount uh, would, would be sort of in line with those certifications. Uh, another kind of um, scenario that's brought up is even if you have everyone on 100% uh, payroll for that uh, eight-week period, um, you're gonna, you might not meet the 75% threshold of using 75% funds for payroll costs. And that starts to bring in the question of bonuses. Uh, bonuses are also something that are not explicitly disallowed by the statute. Um, but again, I, I could see SBA or Treasury saying that you need to be consistent with the purposes of the statute. And the, the one that sort of gives me the most um, trepidation about is bonuses to an owner, uh, because uh, there have been statements made in the, in the interim final rules, et cetera, that the PPP funds are not to be used for any kind of expansion or extra benefit, um, but, but actually are to, again, retain workers and maintain payroll. So, uh, you know, bonus, bonuses... Go ahead, Jeff. Okay, so uh, I, I believe our recommendation is just don't give a bonus with a smile. Have a, have a good reason for giving a bonus. Uh, you'll be provided, the employees will be, that you have will be performing different or additional functions to get you through this difficult time. Does, if you're going to give bonuses, design some appropriate bonus program so you can have a justification for giving those bonuses bonuses just not because i had extra money uh so yeah, I'm, I, I'm i'm speaking not to the owner bonus i'm speaking to the rank and file bonus yeah have, have a have a good legitimate business reason if you decide to bonus out that money yeah so i'll i'll, I'll revise that slightly to say uh, i'm not making a recommendation one way or the other because that's to the business's specific individualized situation but if a business is going to give a bonus, then yes, it, it is uh, much better if there is a business justification uh, for it. And we've, we've seen sort of hazard pay and, and some other things. Uh, the other one that, that I've seen that has made some sense to me is uh, certain employees might need to be repurposed. So, uh, for example, with a, uh, like a yoga studio that is having to go online, you might be taking people who would normally essentially be teaching physical classes, repurposing them to essentially do, do online programming um, and uh, or that kind of thing. Uh, or some people need to be repurposed for some of the bookkeeping, et cetera, uh, necessary to 
uh, to monitor PPP funds and that sort of thing. So just something to uh, keep in mind. Okay, so um, we don't wanna keep you guys uh, uh, longer than is useful for you guys to be here. We do see there are some questions, so we will work through, um, work through these questions uh, as best as we can. Uh, the first question is, well, I'll, I'll just broaden this to be what guidance we have with respect to utilities in general. What, Stacy, do you want to take that one? Or um, utilities, uh, you know, your internet, electricity, uh, gas, water, sewer um, uh, are your typical utilities. And your cell phone, I think, is also included as con considered a, <laughs> considered a utility. There was um, some language in the statute that says transportation utility, and I think that created a lot of confusion. Um, the, and the only example that we saw uh, referencing a trans transportation utility was uh, gas uh, to, um, for a company vehicle used for business purposes. Yeah, I mean, essentially there is not, there is not a lot of guidance on, on this particular piece. Uh, I'm presuming that when there is uh, SBA and Treasury guidance on forgiveness that they'll probably will say a little bit more. So, I mean, we can say that the traditional forms of utilities count, but uh, some of the more kind of creative ones, uh, like paying an IT company for IT, the on-site IT services, I, I, I'm I don't think we have enough information to tell you one way or the other um, whether that's going to count. Um, Stacy, next one is also um, for you. Uh, any restrictions or guidance regarding idle loan use and the timeline? And is it okay to use for rent utilities, et cetera? And is there a date when the funds need to be used by? Uh, so the idle uh, uses are a little broader than the PPP. Um, you can use the idle for the same uh, use as, as the PPP, which is the you know the payroll costs, rent, utilities. Um, in addition, you can use the idle funds for um, uh, increases in cost due to uh, um, supply chain uh, um, impact to your, your, your supply chain as well as uh, accounts payable that hasn't been able to be paid due to revenue losses. Um, so a lot of your, you know, if you haven't been able to pay certain vendors because you're, you're shut down, um, you can use the idle loan to, to pay those vendors. And there isn't as um, restrictive a time period for the idle. Um, the, the, the idle, you would need to make, uh, apply for the idle by the end of this year, December 31st. Um, you can use the funds after June 30th. Um, and uh, um, again, it's a so it's a up to the loan amount also is up to two million dollars, so it could potentially be more than your your PPP loan. The amortization period is a lot longer; it's thirty years over. Um, it's over thirty years at an interest rate of three point seven five if you're a business, and two point seven five percent if you're a nonprofit. So, Stacy, one of the other. Um, permissible uses for idle loans is repaying obligations that cannot be met due to revenue losses. Um, mm -hmm. Do you want to give some explanation of what that might possibly be? Um, so I, I think uh, I, um, I kind of addressed it a little bit. So if you haven't been um, able to pay let's say um, one of your consultants do, because you haven't had revenue coming in um, so you know uh, your your independent contractors uh, that you that are you cannot include in your PPP loan size. Um, you could use your your idle to pay those um, those vendors with the funds. Got it. Okay. Um, next question is um, signed for our PPP yesterday. Um, and after that, found a pending idle advance in the account. Um, I know idle advances reduce PPP forgiveness. So is it better to give back the $10,000 uh, from the PPP disbursement? I, I would say, um, subject to what Stacy and Jeff say, uh, that you should contact your bank 
because essentially what's happening is the SBA and Treasury issued guidance um, last Friday, which for many people was after some of this stuff occurred, and said that the uh, IDO advances are supposed to be subtracted from the PPP amount when you are calculating the loan amount. But many of you calculated your loan amount three or four weeks ago. So uh, I would work that out with, with the bank. And um, actually, I would also, if your uh, banker or loan officer is sort of um, needs information on that, I would point them to the uh, treasury document that was issued last Friday, uh, which is called um, How to Calculate Loan Amounts and uh, you know, point them there on this particular question. Uh, that document, again, is on the Treasury website, home.treasury.gov, and then click on that little link toward the top that takes you to a menu of, um, of options. I want to just uh, add on to that. Um, the idle advance, if you uh, if you don't apply for the um, for the PPP loan, it is an advance. It's fully forgiven. Um, but if you don't, I guess if you don't, what uh, if you don't repay, decide to repay it, um, it just reduces your forgiveness. Uh, so the ten thousand dollars would presumably amortize over two years at a one percent interest rate. Got it. Um... Uh, next question is, uh, did IDLE portal open for round two? The answer is no. Um, I think Jane had mentioned that we expect it hopefully in the next week, uh, week or so. Um, let's see if I see Jane still on. Um, Jane, you want to quickly, un sorry, I should have given you a heads up. Um, do you want to quickly unmute and answer that one? Right. Um we are hoping that it will, the um, portal will open up and we'll be able to take some new applications. Again, they're actively processing the ones that are, have been received and are in queue and they wanna make sure that any obligations from those early applications can be met. This isn't as big a bucket of money, but they, and they got a lot of applications. So what we've been told is hang in there um, and we're hoping, I was expecting that it might be open today or tomorrow. So I recommend that you just regularly or once a day, twice a day, check the portal to see if it has opened up. Um, I don't know that there'll be a lot of fanfare about suddenly zing, we have, you know, we have money, so we'll accept applications. So if we, if we see it up, we will send out a, a notification mm -hmm. um, letting everyone know as soon as it's up. Uh -huh. Okay, thank you, Jane. Um, next question is, are there restrictions on hiring part-time, full-time workers? Um, and I think that goes back to sort of the earlier comments that, uh, again, the purpose of, uh, at least stated purpose of the law is to retain workers and maintain payroll. So if you had workers that were previously uh, part-time or full-time, I think the focus of the law is to retain those workers first, uh, and then if you need to hire to replace them because they're not available to you, then um, you know you would be permitted to to go out and hire so that you can meet the requirements uh, to get full forgiveness. Um, and again, those requirements are in the uh, updated forgiveness memo on the Google Drive. But the, those three big requirements are rules three, four, and five. Uh, rule number three is that 75%, 25% rule, which is that no more than 25% of the forgiven amount may be used for non-payroll costs. And that 75% of the amount used for allowable uses must be for payroll costs, 75% or more. And then rule number four is a headcount rule for full-time equivalents. And rule number five is the individual employee payroll. Okay, and I address the family member issue. Uh, is, next question, is internet monthly service an approved utility? I'm gonna say yes, uh, and but ask Stacy to double check if she agrees with me. I agree, yes. Okay, 
I think it specifically says that internet is a utility. Great. Um, next question is, um, and now I'm into questions that I didn't pre-read, so maybe this is a little bit dangerous, but um, it's voted up, so we'll go for it. Uh, according to Treasury, the eight weeks begin when funds are dispersed. Yes. Uh, if eight weeks begins April 15th and ends June 9th, will the lender require all staff be on payroll until June 30th or just the eight-week period? Uh, I can take this one. So this is referring to what has been discussed as a safe harbor rule or an exception to rules four and five, which are the headcount rule and the individual employee payroll. And um, what the statute looks like it says is that as long as if you reduced pay or um, headcount between February 15th and April 26th of this year, as long as you restore the headcount by June 30th, then rules four headcount, rules five individual employee pay do not apply. That's what it looks like it says. Uh, that's what many um, sort of other resources out there are reporting it as. Uh, I have particular trepidation about that rule for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that uh, it's in a section of the statute that is incredibly uh, difficult, uh, difficultly, is that a word? Is written in a difficult manner. Um, and uh, secondly, Essentially, that rule would allow you to put everyone back for one day on June 30th and then fire them the next day on July 1st. It just seems like a result that uh, the SBA and Treasury eventually may issue a rule that, that says we are not going to allow that to happen. So uh, I, I have particular hesitation about that, um, that safe harbor. Uh, the other piece is that if your eight weeks end, say, in mid-June, um, then there's a period between then and June 30th that is clearly a period that if you use the funds for allowable uses, such as payroll costs, et cetera, it will be outside of your forgiveness, so it won't be forgivable, but that would be a period where, where clearly in, any allowed uses would roll into the, um, would roll into, uh, the loan. Darren, I think the short answer there is there's nothing in the statute that requires you to keep any employees after the eight weeks. That, that would be correct, yes. Yeah. Um, the next one, uh, the first word in the uh, question is IRS, so I'm going to pass it to Stacy. But um, IRS release notice 2020-32. Uh, stating that a taxpayer that receives a loan through PPP is not permitted to deduct. Uh, oh, this, this looks like what we had discussed earlier. Um, um, was that, uh, go ahead, Stacy. Uh, even though the AICPA is pushing back, and I've seen that, um, how would that affect the self-employed um, and sole proprietor borrower? Um, so it's just saying that you can't deduct expenses. So if you had employees um, and you're deducting their payroll costs, you wouldn't be able to deduct those expenses. But because of the way that the Schedule C works, um, it's based on your net income, you know, your net self-employment income after your expenses. Um, so basically your draws um, that, and that, that you won't, we wouldn't deduct your draws um, to begin with. So it doesn't, I don't believe it really impacts you. Okay. Um, uh, another question that is kind of similar to, to the, the prior idle question, which is, um, does the idle loan get subtracted from PPP or added to the PPP? Um, so do you have to add the idle to the PPP and then use 75% for wages, 25% for rent, et cetera? But what's supposed to happen, according to the guidance issued last week, Friday, was it's supposed to be subtracted um, from your initial loan amount, but you know a lot of you put in loan applications on uh, 4-3-2020. 
approximately a month before that guidance. So uh, we say go check with the bank and flag the issue for them and, and let them try and figure it out. I believe the intent of that was to um, refinance your idle loan proceeds that you used for PPP purposes. Um, so in, in reality, I think how it's going to play out um, because the, the idle system is kind of backed up um, is you very likely will get your idle after June 30th. <laughs> Um, in, in which case uh, you, that you're using, um, you can be using your idle funds for um, purposes that aren't allowed under PPP. Yeah, okay. And Stacy, while you're on, why don't you take the temp employee um, staffing agency question? It's okay. The question looks like, uh, could you please tell me if temp employees that are hired through a staffing agency can be counted towards, oh, you deleted it. Um, <laughs> I was just going to ask you generally, how do you treat uh, staffing agency employees or temp employees uh, in terms of your payroll costs? So uh, staffing agency, you, so in theory, the staffing agency could have applied for a PPP loan on its own. So you wouldn't consider that a part of your payroll costs. If you are planning on utilizing a temporary employee um, to, to help you meet the FTE requirement, I would recommend that you hire that, that temp employee directly and not through a staffing agency. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think, the, I, I think it's figuring out where that particular individual falls. Do they fall on your payroll or someone else's? Um, I see the next question is the one that keeps coming up, um, uh, which is funds used for allowable uses but not forgiven will remain subject to the two-year loan terms. Um, and I would, I would essentially reformat that question to say funds used by June 30th for allowable uses but not forgiven will remain subject to the two-year loan terms. That, that part is clear. Um, shouldn't all funds used for allowable uses be forgiven? Um, and can you give examples of what would qualify for the two-year loan? Uh, I, I mean, I'm going to reinterpret this, this question sort of to come back to the, the issue we've been talking about a lot, which is uh, clearly uh, funds used for allowable uses before June 30th are permitted. Um, whether they're forgiven or not. And if you use them before June 30th, then those funds uh, are, if they're used for allowable uses, are clearly part of your two-year loan. The question that has been asked repeatedly is whether funds used, um, excuse me, whether unused funds as of June 30th may be used by the borrower over the next uh, essentially one year and 10 months. Um, and uh, our, our view on the, well, my view on this has not changed, which is that uh, I think there is very meaningful risk that it is not allowed, although I'm not willing to go as far as to say I absolutely know for sure and that SBA or Treasury are not going to issue a rule. My thinking on this is based on, uh, in particular, the statute uh, that seems to suggest uh, the way it's written, that allowable uses end on June 30th. And if allowable uses end on June 30th, then presumably there's no uses after June 30th that are allowed. Um, and that if you are, are going to assume that you can just use funds after June 30th, then I think you do so at your own risk, particularly in an environment where the SBA and the Treasury has shown uh, no hesitation to issue rules, whether they are last week, this week, or next week, that they feel are not uh, in line with the intent of the statute. Uh, the intent of the statute very clearly is to retain workers and to maintain payroll. There is no ambiguity about that. So uh, if you are doing that, if you're using the money to retain workers and maintain payroll, then I think you are in the safe zone. If you are using the money as a two-year loan for purposes of general business purposes after June 30th, and you're going to assume that's the case, I think that is dangerous ground. If you are, uh, it, that, that does not mean that the SBA or Treasury might ultimately issue statements that says something contrary to what I'm saying. All I am saying is that there is risk attached to taking the position 
that you may treat the unused money uh, as uh, as funds you can use for general business purposes after June 30th. Comment okay. on that? Comment on that, Derek? Sure. Uh, and I think that I tend to agree with with Darren's opinion as you get to the end of your eight weeks and there's no guidance. But I suggest that we'll probably have some guidance on, uh, much more guidance on both whether we can look back and take expenses from before or use the money after your eight-week period, uh, well before most of your eight-week periods are more than halfway or five weeks down the line. And as long as you've kept, you've narrowly uh, interpreted what you can use the money for now and understand that you may be able to uh, use that money for broader reasons in the future, I don't think it's time to fret on those end of eight week questions yet because it's, it's it, we still have a couple more weeks to get guidance. I think that is, there's a real meaningful possibility that, you know, SBA or Treasury come out at some point and say, if you have a little bit left over or a certain amount that's left over and you use most of it for appropriate purposes that we're going to say, you know, you can use it for a general 7A um, SBA loan purposes after June 30th. They might do that. Um, uh, on the flip side, I, if, you know, if you reserve 95% of, of your funds, don't bring back your workers and treat it as a business loan, then I think that you run a very big risk of the PPP application, which says, has certifications that say it is to maintain payroll and to retain workers, that you may be deemed in violation of it. I am not saying definitively one way or the other what's going to happen. All I'm doing is pointing out that there is some risk attached. Uh, agreed. So. But if, 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 if someone doesn't want to hire workers yet, they understand that they may hire workers later if it's in their four, say four weeks in, if it's clarified that they can't use the money afterwards. All yeah, they I need think, to do is understand that they'll have partial forgiveness, but they won't be able to use the rest of the money afterwards. So I'm, what I'm suggesting is we, we can expect there to be some more guidance in the next couple of weeks. And it, 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 the, the short answer now is don't assume that you're going to be able to use any of that money after eight weeks because you may not be able to, but we should have an answer soon. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, Next question is, uh, part-time workers, uh, are they factored into the number of employees? I'm presuming this question is related to the headcount rule, what we refer to as number four in our memo, uh, and that one has not been answered as to what a full-time equivalent uh, is. Uh, I, I mean, as we sort of roll forward um, and people get deeper and deeper into their eight-week period, and are trying to get full forgiveness and don't have a definition of what a full-time equivalent is, uh, I think there's kind of some greater pressure on uh, at least prognosticating on what it might be. Um, and without, without definitive guidance, I do think there's at least a reasonable possibility that a full-time equivalent is gonna have some relation to number of hours worked. And uh, so if you are essentially keeping employees at the hours levels that they were previously doing um, and the same number of employees, uh, I'm going to guess that there is a, a pretty good shot that you're gonna come fairly close to meeting the full-time equivalent. And then because the full-time equivalent standard is a average monthly full-time equivalent, then hopefully you have the option once there is some actual guidance of if you are a little under it at the end of the first four weeks, then in the second four weeks, hopefully you can get that number up so that your average monthly full-time equivalent, which is essentially going to be an average of two different months, um, that it, it meets your, your look back period. That, that question may have been asking something different. Uh, and, and, when, oh, it when it comes sorry. to coverage, if you have 300, 
if, if you have 300 full-time employees and you have 400 part-time employees, then for purposes of eligibility for a PPP loan, you are not eligible for a PP loan because you have 700 employees. For, so that's, that has nothing to do with the full-time employee exemption. The full-time employee exemption has to do with, with the, the forgiveness rules. Yeah. At, the out, at the outset, if, if you have the 500 employees cap on, on your ability to get a small business loan is clear. For that purposes, you count all part-time, full-time, or other employees employed on another basis, or you meet one of the, the small business associations, relatively small annual revenue requirements. But there's absolutely no question about that. That's been clear since the start of the statute. You count all of your employees for the purposes of whether you're a small business eligible for the loan. Yeah, there's a different standard to meet the 500 employee rule than there is for for the forgiveness rule, which is rule number four. Yeah. yeah. Um, I see that we are at three after three, and I see that you all are still sticking with us. Um, I think we'll, uh, if Jeff and Stacy have a few minutes, We'll continue answering some questions, uh, and I won't be offended if you guys uh, leave while we're doing it, but um, we'll continue for a few more minutes to try to get through some of these questions. Um, is TDI and workers' comp part of payroll expenses? Stacy? No, they are not. Um, and Jeff, you, you can, you, do you want to elaborate on that? I think you have a better analysis than I do. <laughs> no, they are not. <laughs> the, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, a, a permissible payroll expense is health it, premiums for health care. Workers' compensation is for work injuries. Temporary disability is for, uh, it may be part for health care, but it's also part for off work injuries. So neither, neither your TDI premiums or your workers' comp premiums are covered payroll expenses. You may, you may, you may decide to um, uh, um, it, it decide to pay those with your other funds, but they, they can't come out of your PPP loan. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of the analysis, you know, if you're, if you're doing a very kind of careful financial analysis of the benefit of uh, the PPP funds, you know, in terms of, uh, looking at it at its most rudimentary form as if you spend 75% on payroll costs and you get this, this 25% benefit for rent utilities, et cetera. Um, what you have to take into account is, is some of these insurance premiums, um, employer, employer portion of federal uh, withholdings uh, and um, some of these tax implications that may sort of reduce the net benefit of that, that 25%. Those, those don't come out of your 25% either. You just can't Correct. use your, no. you can't use your PPP for those expenses at all. Yeah. Sorry for not being clear on that. Um, next question. If uh, you receive the PPP loan um, and former employee does not want to work previous hours, and you found a replacement, um, does she need to be off payroll, the person who does not want to work, in order to not be penalized? I, I'm not sure I'm completely following uh, the question, but um, I'm going to sort of reformat this into the question of when someone uh, refuses to essentially work, um, what, uh, what happens there? Jeff, why don't you take that one? Uh, you, you, the, the employer can replace that employee with someone else to meet their full-time equivalent employee headcount for forgiveness purposes and pay that replacement employee wages to meet the compensation purposes. And if the employee refuses to come back to work with no good reason uh, and, and wanting to receive unemployment benefits isn't a good reason, 
the, the employer should advise the unemployment insurance division of that employee's decision and and in a properly operating uh, unemployment insurance division, that employee should stop receiving unemployment benefits. Yep. Okay. Um, I think we will stop there unless either of the two of you want to take any sort of last cracks. I see Stacy shaking her head and Jeff staring into this. <laughs> oh, shaking his head. Okay. Um, so uh, thank you all. Um, we continue to um, hope and pray for some specific guidance on forgiveness rules. Uh, we'll continue to provide you updates as they come along. And uh, I think for the moment, uh, I was hesitating whether to stay on our normal schedule and whether we would have something to say. But given that the 500 of you who are sort of the normals um, stayed the whole time, it sounds like we should probably uh, continue um, and have one this coming Tuesday. So uh, we will do that. Um, we hope you guys have a wonderful May Day and uh, enjoy your, your families and enjoy the weekend. And um, we'll see you next week. Thanks.